Good morning. How many of you like change? I see a few hands. Not a lot of hands. That's, that's fair. How many of you like it when your whole uh, streaming system for the online service fails? Amen. <laughs> okay. Well... That's what we've got happening today. We do have some uh, issues with our live stream. So tell your friends that they'll be able to get the, lo- the stream at a later uh, point in the day, or maybe in the next couple of days. Uh, but for a moment, let's just feel like we're back in the 1950s or something. I, I thought about wearing my bow tie today. I could have been an old-time kind of preacher up here today. But I didn't wear my bow tie, but I did wear a black tie today, so I th- guess I would fit in. But going back to change and that sort of thing, it's tough on people when things change and they don't want them to change. And so my heart is kind of uh, sad for some of our people that have been scrambling around today trying to solve problems. Uh, poor Phil has been running out to a store trying to grab a fuse, and we've got John and Richie and um, Jacob and all kinds of people working on trying to solve problems, and Tamil's been here running an extra camera and all that sort of thing. Let's thank them for all the work they do, hey? Normally, they make it just seamless, and it just works so well, and it's just so nice to see. So thank you for all the work that you do, and uh, we'll get there. We'll get back to that. But this, this is literally what I was planning on preaching to you today is about change and how it's tough to handle change sometimes. Now, we may, we may say that, you know, a change is worth it, as good as a rest. Is that the saying we say? A change is as good as a rest. But how many of us really believe that? Because we, we kind of like things to stay the same a lot of times, don't we? And yet, when things start to change and they're not really what we expected, we might struggle. We're going to talk about Nicodemus today. I think Nicodemus was a man who was struggling with the changes that he was seeing coming along in his worship life. He was struggling to figure out who this Jesus was. We've been talking about that, right? We've been talking about who is Jesus. And Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, wants to know who this Jesus is. We're going to talk about him in a moment here. We're going to read that passage of scripture together. But kind of think of it in the light of your own kind of, uh, your own kind of ability to handle change in your life, whether it's brought on by someone else or brought on by you. Our faith recognizes that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We read about that in places like Hebrews 13 and Malachi 3. And so we take comfort in the fact that God never changes. And yet he's always at work doing new things in our lives. And so that seems to be a little bit of a theme that's going on here with Nicodemus. Let's take a look at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. We're going to look at... One, two, three verses at a time and just walk slowly through it, talking about it for a few moments before we focus in on one little part of it together to see how that might apply specifically in our lives. And then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about Nicodemus as well. So 
Stay with me. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Beginning at verse 1, we see, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. We have to pause right there for just a moment. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a man who is part of the Jewish ruling council. The Jewish ruling council was an elite group of Pharisees and Sadducees and legal experts who there were somewhere between maybe 27 of them or something of that nature. I'll have to ask some of my Jewish friends later how many there were. But they were a pretty elite group of ruling council. And they had something, they had responsibilities over the religious life of the Israelite people, but also over their legal lives. So they made sure that the rules were being obeyed and the laws of the land were being obeyed. And so Nicodemus is an important man of an elite group of Pharisees. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. That's a pretty bold statement for a Pharisee to be making. We know that you are a rabbi, a teacher who has come from God. So Jesus sees something in Nicodemus and, and and takes him a little deeper on this. But it seems that Nicodemus is kind of there under cover of darkness, maybe wanting to protect his reputation, not wanting anybody to know that he's gone to see this rabbi who doesn't have formal training and all of that. And Jesus wants to dig into this a little bit more. And Jesus says to him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It seems like Jesus is seeing something in Nicodemus here. He thinks he's getting close to the kingdom of God, perhaps close to being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, and he pushes him just a little bit more. And he says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus starts to get a little confused. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. These seem to be difficult words for Nicodemus to hear. He's struggling with trying to understand kind of the the metaphors that Jesus is using. This born again is confusing him. And quite frankly, it's hard for us to understand it even today. And the theologians have even struggled with what is Jesus trying to say here about spirit and water and flesh and What's clear about this this portion of it here is that Jesus is saying that we are all born into this world. We all come into this world in a physical manner, but that's not enough for us to see the kingdom of God. It's not enough for us to be in right relationship with God the Father. There has to be a spiritual birth. 
We have to be born again in a spiritual manner. Jesus is pointing to something that is supernatural and that only our Trinitarian God can do. But Nicodemus, he's still confused. He says, how can this be? And Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher, but you do not understand these things. Jesus is pushing a little bit hard on this guy. He says, you're one of Israel's teachers. He knows who this guy is. We've seen before that Jesus sees the hearts of people. He knows who they are. And he knows exactly who Nicodemus is. And he says, you are a teacher and yet you still don't understand these things. Nicodemus has been schooled in a certain way and it's hard for him to understand the way Jesus is speaking to him. Jesus goes on, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. But still, you people, you uh, do not accept or understand our testimony. Sorry, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Jesus is making it clear that this is a spiritual conversation. This is not just about the physical life of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is kind of probably protecting his, his physical life, his career. He's come in the dark. He doesn't want anybody to know that this important Pharisee is coming to speak to this rabbi who has no formal training. Nicodemus is kind of concerned about his physical life and his career and his way of living. But Jesus says, I want to have a spiritual conversation about your heart, Nicodemus. Let's go on to uh, the next part of it here. He says, no one has ever, this is verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven the Son of Man. Now, Nicodemus and Jesus both know when he says Son of Man, Jesus is referring to himself. So no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, Nicodemus would have known about Moses lifting up a snake in the wilderness to protect the people from a uh, a terrible plague. But he's wrestling still with what Jesus is saying about being lifted up. At this point, uh, Jesus has not yet been lifted up on the cross. We, the reader of John, know that that's what Jesus is speaking of. That one day, Jesus will be lifted up on a cross, will die for the sins of the world. But Nicodemus doesn't quite know that yet. And so he's still struggling. But perhaps Nicodemus would ponder this for many years, or for many months, and would eventually understand it. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But Jesus goes on. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned 
But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. At this point, I can imagine the objections in Nicodemus's mind. He's saying, all I have to do is trust in you. All I have to do is believe in you. What about the, the tithes? What about the, the Sabbath laws? What about all the things that we Jews think are important? Are you telling me that's not important anymore? Jesus goes on. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their evil deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done and, have been, and has been done in the sight of God. I think Nicodemus is really struggling with change here. He knows big changes are coming, but he can't quite understand it yet. And yet he's open to it and he listens to Jesus and he's trying to understand what's going on here. It's hard for Nicodemus, and it's sometimes hard for us to have these spiritual conversations about what's going on in our heart. Today, I understand, uh, I'm not one who follows it, but I understand that today is Super Bowl Sunday. Is that right? Now, some of you have told me that you are keen on uh, having food that relates to the Super Bowl. Some of you have told me that you're keen on seeing what the halftime show is. I mean, I, I'm kind of that's where my interest usually takes me. What's that halftime show going to look like? Uh, some of you are excited about the game, right? I'm also excited about one other thing, because I'm pretty sure it, it, there's a high probability, anyway, out of those 720,000 fans that will be in that stadium, I'm guessing at least one of them will hold up a sign that says John 3.16. It happens at just about every game, right? John 3.16 is probably the most well-known verse in the entire Bible, even if people only know it as that sign that's held up at a football game. We're going to look at John 3.16 a little deeper for a minute here and remind ourselves, because it is so familiar. You see, Nicodemus heard it that day, and he might not have understood how revolutionary it was, and we're going to try and see it with some fresh eyes here today. Let's take the next few minutes just to look at John 3.16 and the two verses that follow from it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I know that some of you in this room have already memorized that portion of it. I can see someone raising her hand saying that she's memorized it. I can see some others over here that know that they've memorized it. It's great to have our kids in here with us today, and that is a great one to memorize, kids. John 3.16. It's a great one to memorize and know what it means. We go on to read, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one 
and only son. Now, that verse is so familiar that I have to read it hard sometimes so that it doesn't just kind of wash over my brain. I have to read it and read it again. But let's break it apart into a few different points here this morning. God so loved. Out of God's love, his love motivated him. God made the first move in our lives. Because of God's love, he sent his son. God, motivated by love, makes that first move. God looked upon humanity and said, I must rescue them. There is no other solution. We read about something similar in Romans 5, 8, where it says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world, he made the first move. Then secondly, God sent his only son. God sends his son into the world. We know Jesus as from John chapter 1, that he is fully God. We know him as fully human in John chapter 1, verse 14. And we also know him as the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. We serve a Trinitarian God who sent the Son into the world as a human and as God. And he came into the world. He was the unique son of God. The word in the Greek here is that word monogene. Now, when it's used in other places in the New Testament, it refers to maybe a, an only child. Or it refers to an only son. Or it refers to an only daughter. The concept here is one of preciousness. It talks about families that have only one child and how precious that child is to them. So God sending his one and only son into the world is a good translation of that, that word. The emphasis here is on how precious the gift that was given to us is. Again, it shows how much God loves us and that he gave his very precious gift of himself through the son. God made the first move. He sends his one and only son. And thirdly, if we believe, we have eternal life. Whoever believes in the son shall not perish, but have eternal life. If we believe this message that God the Father sent the son, then we have eternal life. It really is that simple. And yet, that's just the beginning, isn't it? To believe Jesus is a lifeline, lifelong process. We trust and we believe in Jesus and that opens us up to this spiritual rebirth and a whole life of believing Jesus, a whole life of learning and growing in him. But if we believe in the Son, we have eternal life, this passage says. God makes the first move out of his love. He sends his one and only son. If we believe, we have eternal life. And then Jesus came to save, not to condemn the world. Again, we're reminded of God's love to us. 
God looks at humans and sees that we need rescuing. We need saving. And so he sends his son into the world. I I talk with lots of people who are struggling with difficulties in their lives. And a common theme is it's just so easy for us as humans to think that God is punishing us or condemning us or trying to get us to behave better so that we can earn our way into heaven. We, we humans have such a tendency to do that. And God is saying here through Jesus, he's saying that we, Jesus came to save, not to condemn, not to punish. Jesus came to save us. Our Trinitarian God sees our plight and out of his love for us, offers us a way to be saved. Jesus came to save and not to condemn the world. Lastly, this fifth point builds upon that. There's only one way that we can be condemned, and that is to not believe. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. It indicates that there will one day be a judgment for all people. But when we are judged, we will be judged on one thing. Did we believe in Jesus? Jesus does not come to judge and condemn, but those who choose not to believe in him have condemned themselves. So God, out of his love, he's motivated to make the first move. He sends his unique son into the world. Those who trust in him have eternal life. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. And that the only way we get condemned is if we choose not to believe. So Nicodemus hears all of this from Jesus. And he walks away without committing himself to following Jesus. He walks away without making a commitment to follow Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus. But he remains open to Jesus, it would seem. We see him again in John chapter 7. Take a look at that when you get home, John chapter 7. He's there with the ruling council once again. And he encourages the the ruling council, the Pharisees, and those who are making decisions about Jesus to treat Jesus fairly, to give him a a just um, judgment. He encourages the Pharisees to treat Jesus according to the law. It takes a while, but we see Nicodemus again at the end of John's gospel in John chapter 19, verses 38 through 40. And there we read about Nicodemus in another setting. John 19, verses 38 through 40 is after the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus is dead on the cross, and we read this. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph, whom we don't know a lot about, was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by, wait for it here, Nicodemus. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. It seems that both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus 
had become disciples, followers of Jesus. They came and they treated his body with great care and they wrapped it and they buried it in Joseph's tomb that he had prepared for himself. But he gives it to Jesus to be buried. Nicodemus had made up his mind that it was going to be okay to be revealed as a follower of Jesus, it would seem. Everybody would have known what was going on here. And Nicodemus goes on, likely, to follow Jesus in years to come. But it seems he had experienced that spiritual rebirth at this point. It seems maybe he had thought about those words that Jesus had said, that when I am lifted up, I will take away the sins of the world, and I will give eternal life. Nicodemus pondered those words, and when he saw Jesus on the cross, perhaps that's when he, made, he became a follower. Perhaps that's when that spiritual rebirth happened. Jesus is still doing these same things in our lives today. He asks us to be spiritually reborn. He talks to us about the physical life that we live, but he calls us to spiritual rebirth. To hear his voice, to believe in him and have eternal life. To receive that salvation that he offers and to go and believe in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are this Trinitarian God that we struggle to understand, and yet you show us clearly that motivated out of your love for us, you rescued us. God, you sent the Son into the world as fully human, fully God. You've sent your Spirit into the world to do the spiritual work that needs to happen in our lives. And we thank you for that. We thank you that we have spiritual life in Christ, that we can be reborn, that we can believe and have eternal life. May we trust you. May we believe you. May we do these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.